0: Welcome, everyone. We're back. Daniel Snyder here. Austin Hankwitz hanging out. Thanks for joining us this hour. Man, I gotta say I missed them all last week. It feels right to be back, doesn't it? It feels so right to be back. It feels so right. So
1: grateful for the people who come and hang out with us. Shout out to Barry. I'm seeing Danny. I'm seeing uh, uh, Jessica, Larry, Kevin, everyone cool.
0: Stephanie, shout out to... Oh, Stephanie We are back. We got the whole crew. We got the whole crew. People that like to come and hang out for the hour. We appreciate it you guys. Obviously, this show is going to be awesome. So, we're switching things up just a little bit for this show. We've got a special guest, someone that I've been wanting to talk to for a long time, someone joining us from across the pond and runs a little service called Sestrian Capital. So, we're going to be joined by Alex King here in just a little bit, so stay tuned for that. But housekeeping let's get it out of the way shall we so first things first tomorrow here on seeking alpha we have an exclusive webinar with jay mensmeyer from value investors edge i'm gonna go ahead and drop the link for that here in the chat everybody come hang out with us it is from 12 to 1 the same time as this but it's tomorrow thursday if you're listening to the podcast, obviously we have the video on demand later, so you can always catch a replay and he's going to lay out maybe some of his top stock picks for the shipping sector. He likes to contain uh, container ships and, and oil tankers and he really follows what I call the invisible railroad of the seas, right? So come join in and hang out with that. Hey, Alexis, how does it going? Steph, uh, Stief- Stefan, sorry, nice to see you back with us as well. Uh, What else do we have going on? Well, I got to say a big shout out to everybody that's been leaving us reviews over on Apple Podcasts. There's a few of them trickling in. We're seeing some nice five-star reviews as well, watching the charts there. I'm going to go ahead and leave a link for that as well in the chat. So you can all just, you know, jump over there. tell Don't
1: forget, don't forget. If you've been rocking with us for a while now, you know the podcast is relatively new on Apple, so if you leave that review, make sure you drop the 100 emoji, the 100 with the double underlines all in red, to let us know that you're a long-term listener. It's a little inside joke we got going on over here, so drop that 100 emoji and let us
0: know. And it's happening. I was I was just pulling up the reviews right here, all in web. Actually, just left left a review at the end of November saying insightful, and entertaining, five stars, weekly market insights, and stock analysis done in an informative, and entertaining way. Excuse me. Uh, thanks for listening and hanging out. So, guys, go check out that on Apple Podcasts as well. The cool thing about this rebrand of the show, so as you know, we were previously called Stock Market Live, and now we're Investing Experts Podcasts. Uh, so what does that mean? It means you're still going to get the same you know, market overview that Austin and I do. We're still going to be doing stock analysis, but we're going to be joined more and more by special guests. And I'm talking about industry level guests. We're talking about not only Seeking Alpha marketplace authors, we have some great contributors and we might sprinkle in some outside industry guests as well that we have coming through the Seeking Alpha doors here. So make sure you stay tuned for all of that. As we go into the end of the year, are we going to get a Santa Claus rally? Man, we got to touch on that, right? Obviously FOMC is coming out here in just a few hours. Um, but with that being said too, I want to really encourage our listeners right now. If you if you know someone
1: you follow them on Twitter maybe, you watch them on TV and you want them to be a guest of our show, like I'm not saying that my 600,000 followers on TikTok has any like clout to it, but I might get my DMs answered. I know daniel has got some cool clout too. So if you have a cool idea for someone to be a guest on the show, let us know. We'll try our best to get them on here. We're trying we're here to serve you in the comment
0: section, in the video ideas, everything we do is to serve you also. Let us know. That's what the show's all about. Let's bring ideas together. Let's start the conversation. Let's bounce off a different different opinion. I mean, how many times do we not agree, right? I mean, I always time. tell you, I'm, I'm in first <laughs> on times, and then sometimes I'm fully on board with you. But let's go ahead and dive in, everybody. Let's get a quick look at the overall markets before we go into initial thoughts. So here we are checking out the volatility index today. Obviously, down here at the low 22 levels, we had a massive gap that turned around and filled pretty quickly. So pretty interesting That's kind of stabilizing on – uh, these last few hours before you know the bump in the interest rate, which we're all expecting, and we're going to wait and see what's going on with Powell and what he says today. So obviously, dollar index as well. Dollar has just had a significant pullback. I mean, this is. I was I was doing some research and and it's kind of like a self fulfilling prophecy thing, right? Dollar started increasing in value and all these companies started hedging, but they were late and they're you know what's called the dumb money, right? So I think that's where we saw kind of like. Is this the blow-off top? It's looking like it. Getting a nice pullback. Of course, emerging markets are loving that right now as well. Let's go ahead and look in the SP, uh, SPY ETF for the S&P 500. Obviously, I went ahead and drew a little price level up here where we've got a nice little resistance zone. If we see a pop today, that might be an area of resistance for us as well. We're right here, battle zone, 200-day moving average, something to very keep an, keep an eye on, Above uh, gap above, and a huge massive gap below. Obviously, eighty percent of the time, gaps fill. And if we break through this level, I think we might actually go all the way to the gap, test that little gap bottom. But can we fill that gap? I don't know. And that what, what's say. that number
1: say? I'm trying to trying to use my my new glasses here to read it, but my eyes aren't that great. Is that about are we talking 300? about the bottom of the gap? Uh, yeah, bottom of the gap.
0: Yeah, bottom of the gap is right around the 420 level. So 420 for spy. Uh, that would be massive, right? Thinking about where we are right now, what we've been going through, and actually, let me bounce back a second. So. You know, we talk about our friends over at Data Trek Research every once in a while. I mean, I love the research that they're putting off. And actually, just today, I want to highlight this. Uh, they sent out a tweet that silver has outperformed gold by 20 percentage points over the last 100 days, well, more than one standard deviation to the upside. This typically occurs after recessions and seldom before. Interesting. interesting don't tell me i don't you got me thinking now what's going on interesting okay interesting thought isn't it so i'm just going to let that drop i'm i'm going to let you guys think you know you i'll let you analyze that but a little nugget of information that i thought we had to share right now so let's go ahead and look at the cues real quick tech sector of course obviously in a downtrend finding some resistance here at the 100 day moving average went ahead and fill let me move that for you 100 day moving average that's this level right here which is uh 290.98 so keeping an eye on that, we've got some support below the market. But really, I just want to highlight with tech and, and this is S&P 500 in the overall markets as well. We've been in this huge balance zone right here. Um, since what day was that November 11th, Obviously, once we entered or November 10th, whatever that was, but this huge balance zone is just, it's been consolidating a consolidating market. And we like seeing consolidations, because that means a big move is coming, right? Upside downside. That's what we're all anticipating. But The consolidation is a good sign. Lastly, let's look at the IWM. Russell obviously bouncing against this long-term downtrend line. Can it break through? You got the 20-day above. You got the 200-day above. You will have a little support from the 100 here and the 50. I mean, all these moving averages are just converging right here on the Russell 2000 index, which is the IWM. Anything that comes to mind for you, Austin, about this when you see this? Yeah, and I'm trying to I'm trying to find it right. So I I was recently reading something that was shared by,
1: and I should have grabbed this beforehand. So I apologize for those that are. Uh, here we go. I was reading something that was shared by Bank of America about the Russell, and like they had this idea. Where I don't know if I'll be able to find it uh, on the fly here, but long story short, they were thinking, like, okay, as we look toward next year, what companies are we most excited about, right? And thinking about the ones that are able to, you know, from, from an operating leverage perspective, really begin to lean into that, have those SGNA costs as a percent of revenue decrease while, while revenue and margins expand, right? And long story short, that was the companies that Bank of America in this report, if I can find it, was really, really excited about, right? Um, On the long side, we screen for Russell 1000 companies that have expanded earnings before interest um, and taxes margins year to date in contrast with the broad market and where consensus estimates project continued margin expansion in 2023. So do I know who those companies are? Absolutely not. I don't have any screens on top of my head, but I think it's interesting, you know, looking at that Russell chart uh, to, to when we begin to think toward 2023, how kind of you, you can begin to pick apart companies that might be those little shining stars that others might be overlooking.
0: Yeah, and and this is why I'm so thankful we have Alex on today, because we're going to talk to him about his ideas and what's going on with tech, right? Tech has been demolished this year, as we all know, but is a tech recovery possible? And that's uh, a sector that I have a couple, you know, names of of that he's done research on recently that everybody can go read his articles on Seeking Alpha uh, as a premium member, even uh, underneath his author profile. But we're going to talk about tech and what's going on there and is the tech recovery coming with him in here just a moment. Uh, Let's keep it going though. Let's go ahead and move on to our poll, you know, lately, everybody. We got a good crowd hanging out with us live here today. We love when you guys join as we record these episodes live. Also, feel free to always uh, ask us questions as we go. So here is our poll question that we ask you week over week. Where do you think the market is headed by the end of the year? Obviously, we've got, what, two weeks left, not that many trading days left. And let me just remind everybody, we weren't here last week, but the week before, the answers were overwhelmingly lower everybody chose lower so we're going to go ahead and close this off here and today as i can show you everybody believes it's going higher man higher look at that how does that happen year. higher into the end of the year with 80 percent of the people here today with us saying that we are headed higher 20 percent lower so hey to give the people that, credit though
1: that- to give them credit Whenever two weeks ago, whenever we were talking about higher or lower, and people were saying lower, I, I mean, we did see kind of a little bit of a sputter there with this bear market rally uh, last week. So I, I feel like maybe that could have been just a little sprinkle of you know affirmation there on top of that. But man, everyone's points. thinking higher now, so it's gosh, he knows what's. I mean, happen.
0: that's a great point, right? So our last episode was uh, November thirtieth, I believe, and from December first until. Uh, what day was that? December 7th, the market had pulled back over 4%. So applause to everyone. Great job. You definitely got that call right. Um, so moving on though, let's go ahead and get into initial thoughts, shall we? Why don't you kick it off for us?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to. So um, we all know Sam Bankman fraud has been arrested. Uh, I know you're a crypto bear. I get that, Daniel. Um, but I think now I want to better understand your perspective. On crypto, that we've been able to bust the fraudsters. Has your perspective changed, Are you bullish or bearish, on this? You know, uh, actual action of him getting arrested. What do you think
0: this might mean for crypto as a whole? Crypto as a whole, and I think he's a drop in the in the bucket, right? I think we we all expected this to happen. I mean, they have the new CEO of FTX coming out and speaking in, to the government, and and revealing that they use QuickBooks, which. QuickBooks is a great product, (laughs) but I get what they're saying about, you know, as once a company gets big enough, you should probably switch off QuickBooks. Totally get that. It's made for small businesses that is into its design and everything else. Um, Overall, you know, I'm still bearish on crypto. I don't, I need to see more of how the technology is going to produce value and not just be a piece of technology as if it's the, um, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. I mean, the can't even say it's like a computer because computer adds so much value. It, it's a transfer protocol, right? It, it makes sense for the financial and, and data storing structures. But outside of that, like I can't physically hold a blockchain, you know? So I, I'm still bearish overall. Um, my question for you is I just saw the report. Binance just had $3 billion of outflows in seven days. Is that worrisome? Shouldn't be people, sh- they should be paying attention to that
1: yeah i think i think it's certainly worrisome and please people in the comments here let us know if you have any money on exchanges uh if you do please move it off but uh are you in crypto are you not in crypto and has this sam bankman fraud arrest uh changed your mind on it at all um but yeah i mean that's you know binance has been one of those long-standing crypto exchanges it's the first exchange i ever made an account with uh back in 2016 and it's always been thought of as the gold standard, right? CZ has always done. Uh, yeah, no problem, Vita. Happy to help. Uh, she was thanking us for the uh, Ether Wallet's call out the other week. Uh, myetherwallet.com is, is, where I, is where I host my specific or hold my specific holdings, rather. But to the idea of Binance and people moving their money off the exchange, right? CZ, their, their founder and CEO, has always had this kind of mantra of uh, funds are safe. S-A-F-U, safe you. Uh, it's like an acronym. I don't know what the U stands for, but funds are safe. Funds are safe. And he's, he's held true to it over the last six years. It's always, I mean, he's been able to, to hold that. So I, I have much more confidence in one of these, you know, standing veterans than I do with an overnight success as was SBF. But um, I think it's smart that people are taking money off the exchanges, right? I think, you know, you don't, if it's not your key, you know, not your uh, keys, not your crypto, right? At the end of the day. So I think that's a good move in the right direction. Next question I have for you for your uh, initial thought is kind of staying on this you know, technology trend here is GPT, right? ChatGPT has been released. It's hit 1 million users in like five or six days, I think is what I saw. The fastest platform to ever hit this milestone. Initial thoughts on Chat GPT: bullish, bearish, and what do you think this is gonna do for Google, right? Is, is, uh, is, uh, I just don't understand why
0: people are so scared for this with Google, but I wanna hear your thoughts. All right, so I love that you just asked that because I've been playing with this thing nonstop and somehow I had a feeling that you were going to ask me about this. So I've got chat GPT opened right here on the computer and uh, I said, write an intro for the Investing Experts Podcast by Seeking Alpha. Here's what it just gave me back. Welcome to the Investing Experts Podcast by Seeking Alpha where we keep you up to date on the latest news and analysis from the world of finance and investing. Every day, all right. so that's not true, we bring on expert guests and analysts to discuss the biggest movers and shakers in the stock market and offer in-depth analysis and insight on the trends and developments that matter to you. Whether you're a casual investor or a professional trader, the Investing Experts podcast has something for everyone. Tune in now and stay on top of the market. Wow. I, mean, I, I can't write something like that. That is unbelievable. I mean, so... I love ChatGBT, I think it's it'll revolutionize marketing and copywriting, um, which is great, right? Don't get me wrong, it's great. What does it mean for Google? I'm not sure it's entirely relatable yet. Um, Google doesn't create copy for you like this is doing. Google is there as the database of knowledge of the world, right? And as they are continuing to refine how Google bots work and how they refine their process through searching all these pages of blogs and, and research articles and everything else, it's getting better. And things are changing where it's like, how many ads do you have on a page they're looking at? Uh, can we pull a specific clips from a YouTube video so that you don't have to watch a 10 minute video. If you're saying, Hey, how do I set up my XYZ smart home device? They're like, Oh, well, really only this 50 seconds of a YouTube video is what you need to watch. And now, you know, it's all about streamlining you answering your questions. Chat GPT could do that as well. But if I I feel like if I went there and I was trying to look for a video, you can't have a video tutorial, right? You can't have that visualization that helps people's minds click. And so I think there's still a little bit of a divide between the two of them. But I love what is happening here with chat GPT.
1: I'm right there with you, man. And you know, I tried to think about this. I was hosting a live stream on Monday, right? And I was trying to think about this with them. And where they, I was asked, you know, is Google now going to implode because of Chat GPT search functions? And I was like, I don't think so. I think they're very different products, right? On one side, you've got the ability to scour the World wide web, and on the other side, you have the ability to uh, receive utility and and an actual substance, right? You just wrote the intro, or they just wrote the what it just wrote the intro. What, what, what pronoun? I don't know. It just wrote the intro of, uh, you know, the, the stock market life here for you. I'm sorry, uh, investing experts uh, here for experts you. It's going yeah. to take a second. Um, yeah. But anyway, it just wrote that intro. That's so cool. But you can't get that through Google, right? But just like I can't find, like, I'm going to imagine, you know, best restaurants in Nashville, Tennessee, I can look that up on Google, but I don't think chat GPT is going to kind of give me that, uh, you, you know, kind of feedback there. So it's much more of a utilitarian kind of, I'm sorry, not utilitarian. I'm off my wave today, Daniel. It's much more utility and much more uh, actual substance and product than it is uh, specific search that I think that people are kind of afraid of with that overlap with Google, which makes me want to ask the question here to our audience listening. Have you yet used chat GPT? And if you have, what are your thoughts on it? What have you asked it? Uh, Have you told it to do something for you? And if you've not used it, one question is why, and two, if that answer is you're scared, my dad is also scared, but he's 78, so he has reason to be scared. This guy remembers the whole like you know Big Brother stuff with the he he he's scared of the internet. <laughs> uh, they're always watching.
0: <laughs> no, uh, no, I think this thing's gonna be revolutionary. I, I think it's um, kind of goes into the sense though of what products are people going to develop with it as the backbone right? What you're seeing with like lens AI or whatever that app is, that's like avataring everybody right now that people are going bonkers for it runs off Dolly too. And a little bit of other stuff they have going on. So I think it can lead to things that will boost our productivity. I'm sure it's going to revolutionize the world of marketing by giving you, I mean, it just sped up so many, so many people's productivity hours, right? If instead of having to sit down and be like, write me a commercial script, somebody going and being like, well, what words should I use for marketing, right? I think they're just gonna be like, let me start here and then I'll refine. And then that's already so much, like that's a leap ahead easily. Um, and before we move on I though, I
1: just wanna mention like we talk about the utility of it from like a copyright perspective, but I did see my name. Uh, <laughs> we just see Vita here, college plagiarism for the win. I just saw someone on TikTok made a video about that. They they made an essay inside of chat GPT, turned it in and got a great, a good grade. Uh, they didn't have to write it. But what's crazy is my friend Cameron, he is very into blockchain and smart contracts and solidity and all that, like coding this stuff. Um, and he's like, write me a solidity contract for an ERC20 token uh, that does ABCXYZ. And it created, it wrote the code in like 12 seconds. And then he like tested it for errors and it was error free. And it was this amazing thing. It's like, that to me blows my mind that robots are able to create more robot functionality, if that
0: makes sense from scratch. Like I just—I think that's wild. So real quick point that Christian just brought up uh, in, in the chat here. says, can't believe that Google, which bought DeepMind a few years ago, doesn't have something similar up its sleeve to ChatGPT. We don't know if that's true or not. But I will say, as I was diving into open AI and everything, so Microsoft, and this is just another reason to like Microsoft, they invested in open AI. And OpenAI's backend is what helps in the, the GitHub co-pilot product that they offer. And it goes back to recommending the coding like you're talking about, helping programmers complete their code quicker, help them say, you know, the autocorrect future features that Google has, which might be DeepMind, what you're referring to. Microsoft is very much integrated with OpenAI. So something to watch there, especially as they continue to roll out products. Um, let's keep it going. What's next? All right, last one here for you. We saw a laundry list of
1: executives at Slack step down. Right? We saw Brett Taylor, the co-CEO. We saw Stuart Butterfield, their CEO. Tamar, I I don't want to butcher his, uh, their last name, but their chief product officer, Jonathan Prince, SVP of marketing. What are your initial thoughts on this? Why is everyone leaving Slack? And you know, not to mention Salesforce executives, right? We just saw uh, the CEO of Tableau step down and the chief strategy officer uh, from, from Salesforce step down. Obviously, Salesforce owns Slack. Why are people leaving? What's going on here? Does that perk your interest in a good
0: way or a bad way? Like, Do you have any thoughts on that? All right. So I'm going to pull a unique card in this scenario because this, I think, is a great question that we could ask Alex. Um, he's been watching Salesforce. I think he might have an opinion that's probably a lot better than mine. So let's let's put a pin in that and bring it over to him in a second. But um, let's just run the three with you real quick and then we'll get Alex on. We can ask him that question because that's a really good question. Um, First up for you, I have on the docket that Redfin has come out and predicted that home sales next year are set to drop to the lowest level since 2011. What's your initial thought on that? I
1: unfortunately agree and i say unfortunately cuz your boy bought a house back in like july or august not saying i overpaid never will admit that because you never pay if you never plan to sell it which i don't um and that's a it's a lie but anyway uh no i think that's going to be the harsh reality right I, I i know i've got three houses here in my neighborhood houses that were being bought up in in days three houses have been sitting on the market now for several weeks. Right. And I think you know, a couple price uh, slashes, I, I think that's going to be the case. I, I think a lot of people are scared of interest rates. I think a lot of people are scared of a recession. I think a lot of people are, you know, trying to figure out, uh, hey, I just lost my job. I'm not going to qualify for a mortgage. Or maybe I did qualify, but I just got laid off. Like, I, I, I think that's going to be the case. And that's, um, yeah, it's it's going to be unfortunate for sure.
0: So you're saying you think that even though I mean we've seen recently the 30-year fixed rate mortgages averaged 6.33 percent for the week ending December eighth. I mean it was over seven.
1: Mortgage rates. Were it coming was.
0: Down for it was. It ahead. was.
1: Um, yeah, but I just I, you know I, I can't tell you how many like times I've seen examples of people that are saying like. And this is me being a 26 year old on TikTok all day where like people are like, hey, you know, I had, you know, I was paying rent like this or, you know, this was my budget back and maybe during COVID or when I wanted to buy a house. And, you know, I was I could afford 1900 a month, but I can't afford $3,200 a month. And that, that change right there, that thousand dollars is essentially just the interest rates. Right. And so like and I just that's what I'm seeing. And I think a lot of people got um, just the short end of the stick from that. And uh, either won't be buying a house or have to save up longer for a larger down payment like that. The interest rates rising so quickly certainly uh, put a damper on the momentum that they might have had to purchase a house in the first place.
0: Gotcha. All right, cool. Um, this next one's a little bit outside of how we normally talk about initial thoughts. My, my question for you or, or just your initial thoughts, what is going on with Carvana? have you been watching this they've been in the news time and time again obviously used car prices are getting crushed they're continuing to try to expand they spend so much money on marketing these these tower car things pillars whatever you want to call them is this company going is that stock going to zero so uh before I answer that question
1: I want to share a really cool and I know we got to wrap this up but I was on the New York Stock Exchange last week on the floor with a guy named Peter Tuckman really awesome guy at Einstein of Wall Street really encourage everyone to go check him out but he has a, a I don't know what he does specifically if it's trading brokerage like I don't know but he was uh, this was the day that Carvana got a I think a $1 price target from Wedbush it might have been like a Wednesday or something last week and Carvana stock opened down like thirty five percent that day, or forty percent, something crazy. And he was going to try. Isn't to do because it's a five dollar stock. I mean, just a right, 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 right. Um, but but I just crazy uh, volatility. he was going to like arbitrage the trade somehow. And so he was like yelling across the floor, which I mean, you don't see a lot. But he was yelling, and his his analysts were yelling at the market makers to like hold the trade for like thirty seconds. It was really cool. But you know, I was looking that catalyzed my thought to like look more into it. And how I understand it is during the pandemic where you couldn't go out and buy a car and, you know, you couldn't do these things, buying a car online and selling a car online in a very simple way was really valuable, right? And so Carvana said, wow, all these people want to buy our stuff. Let's just make sure we own a bunch of cars, give them the best, you know, purchasing experience by having a bunch of inventory. This is great. And so as you buy these uh, cars specifically, Carvana has to go in debt to do that, right? And the debt that they have on these vehicles, the inventory, um, as interest rates rise, their interest expense payments rise as well. And and so what I'm seeing is Carvana just completely didn't understand or think that the momentum, the, the volume that they'd be doing with inventory would pretty much come to a, not a screeching halt, but it certainly you know, slowed down a lot with interest rates rising. Now, I think I saw uh, 820 credit score is now paying 10% plus. Uh, An interest for a a used car, which to me sounds outrageous. Considering I just bought my used car two years ago at a two point nine percent, right? And so that's certainly impacting Carvana. They're now sitting on all this inventory. Uh, They're paying more and more in interest debt, interest on their debt on the inventory. Is it going bankrupt? Is it going to zero? I don't know. But oh my gosh, is it a recipe for disaster? Absolute like. Terrible timing. I feel bad for the executives. I I don't think that anyone like saw this coming, right? No one could have predicted interest rates were going to fly this quickly as as they did. But man, how frustrating could that be,
0: right? I mean, completely out of their control. I'm going to give a little bonus right here and just run through the rating summary real quick. So the Seeking Alpha authors on Carvana have a sell. Wall Street has a hold. Interesting. And the quant system has a strong sell on Carvana. So, all right, let's get into this last one. So uh, a good friend of mine, Nick Bunker, works over at Indeed. He's he's a part of the hiring lab. They do a lot of research. They pull all the data off of nd.com, look at things like wage growth, employment, and everything else. So he recently put out the November 2022 jobs report, and the title is The Labor Market Keeps Running. So here, here's the bullets, and let's get your thoughts on the other side. So the labor market remains strong with employers adding 263,000 jobs and the unemployment rate remaining low at 3.7%. Payrolls continue to grow almost three times the pace needed to keep up with the population growth. Wage growth picked up, suggesting that pay gains may have more resilience than expected. Several industries related to the sales and transportation of goods saw notable declines in jobs as in-person services, sticky-ish, such as restaurants and bars power the headline growth. Initial thoughts. I think that's great. I love the idea that people... Are getting
1: paid and not losing their jobs despite these crazy headlines of, you know, this publicly traded company is going to lay off 10,000 people, or this publicly traded company is going to lay off half their staff, talking about Twitter, or I guess not public anymore. But
0: I mean, and And sell all the furniture out of their office in San Francisco. I didn't see that. That's so funny, though.
1: (laughs) But I was just listening to Dave Ramsey earlier this morning, and he was talking about how, you know, these small to medium sized businesses that don't have to report to shareholders and are instead building businesses for the long-term are, I guess, and you can agree or disagree with Dave Ramsey, but I think his concept here is correct. Like, you know, he was saying, our profits are down year over year, but we don't care because everything's still fine. And I didn't lay off anyone because we want people to have jobs. We understand like the macroeconomic you know scenarios right now. And it's like, I, I feel like on one side you have these publicly traded companies who have to do specific things for shareholders. If it's stock buybacks to increase their earnings per share or increase their profits uh, specifically. Um, and that one costs money and you have to lean down and like, I get that. But on the same token, it's really cool to hear that, you know, all of these people are keeping their jobs and, and wages are moving in the right direction. But I just, man, more and more of this news comes out and I'm like, are we really going to do like this elusive like soft landing that we've all been talking about, but no one really believed in. Right. Is like, is like the boogeyman. Is it really going to happen? Is he really going to come? Like certainly look at my get, which is kind of wild to me.
0: I would say just remember rule number one. Well, rule number one is don't lose money. Rule number two, don't fight the fed. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, oh. Yep. Yeah. All right, man, let's keep it going here. I want to get to this part. So we're going to, let's get Alex in. That's the easiest way to put it. Let's get Hi, Alex' in conversation. Let's do it. And so, you guys may know Alex. Some of you might not know Alex. Alex, welcome to the show. Um, wait one second. Just want to make sure you're on mute. Yep. Sorry. Uh, so, for everybody that doesn't know, uh, Alex is uh runs Growth Investor Pro over here. He's a seeking alpha marketplace service. Uh, you focus on growth at a reasonable price,
2: right, or profitability? Um, we focus on a lot of things. We called it Growth Investor Pro because that's where it started. Um, But actually in the service, you've got growth stocks, value stocks, ETFs, long-term trading, short-term trading, options, rates, a lot. But the catchy part is the growth part. Uh, And it's also the part that's um, been most interesting to do this year, because obviously growth's all over. It's all going to zero. It's never going to go back ever again, ever. Everyone hates growth. No one's interested. You can't make any money in it. And so actually that's been the most fun part to focus on all all year. Um, I love that you said that. my, My professional background before I did this was in institutional investing, all in tech, uh, VC and the leverage buyouts, uh, all of which are growth companies one way or another.
0: Yeah, the guys, I, I can't communicate this enough. I mean, you're a legend in the space. So I'm thankful that you're here with us and joining us from across the pond. So I think the best place to start is let's get your reaction to to what's going on with inflation in the Fed right now. And I'll, I'll let you I'll just leave it broad, let you take it where where you think we should go.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not sure I've got any unique insights on that. I mean, if you read all that Chicago school stuff from 100 years ago, You know, it proved to be correct, which is if you increase the money supply, um, inflation goes up. And if you decrease the money supply, inflation goes down. And it's that simple. And I think as is now well known and understood, you know, the money supply was increased massively during COVID, probably too much. I think it's hard to argue it shouldn't have been increased at all because people forget, you know, in February, March 2020, it looked like the economy might stop and it looked like an echo of 2008. When it looked like the economy might stop because of credit issues, so the risk, uh, uh, the COVID crisis wasn't wasn't really an equity crisis. It was a it was a cash flow crisis. If landlords weren't getting paid, suppliers weren't getting paid. If cash doesn't flow, the economy stops. I think most people would say it was right um, for the Federal Reserve to step in and free up that liquidity. I think now most people would say it was overdone. You know, you wouldn't. I don't think the Fed ever intended for you know household savings to be at an all time high by the end of twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one, whatever it was. So too much money came into the economy. um, And so lo and behold, you know, inflation up. Um, As everyone, I think, would agree now, they reacted too slowly. It wasn't just them. Most central banks across the world were the same. And now they've had to slam the brakes on too hard. And so you get this crazy volatility in every market you can think of. You know, and what's been particularly nuts this year, I think, is that anything... In late 21, I think it was fairly obvious that the market was going to correct. If you looked at the NASDAQ or the SPY or whatever it was going to correct. We said so that so in our service loud and clear, November the 21st, I think we said, this is probably a top, you know, watch out. But I think what wasn't obvious was everything would dump, right? So normally you go, well, maybe I'll rotate out of growth and into value. I'll buy some, you know, credit or I'll buy some commodities or whatever. The only thing, the only sector that's made money all year consistently is energy. That's it. Everything else lost money. That's incredible. So um, yeah, it's been crazy. I, I think what where we are now, again, most people would agree is, um they've raised rates too fast uh cpi uh pc every measure is coming down i don't see any recession anytime soon personally i'd like anyone to show me any actual data that says there is going to be a recession because the jobs market says there isn't gdp says there isn't it's just headlines that says there is so um personally think that we are done with the hiking cycle house view here is yeah we might get a little bit of weakness the next couple of days in the market but Probably that October, November low was the low. And probably securities just repriced now off, the, off of a higher uh, rate and inflation rate environment. That's
0: it. Alex, I like where your head's at. I was kind of curious if you had any thoughts at you know, what you said about recession and how you're like, there is no recession. I don't see anything that says a recession. Then why do we see people like Kathy Wood come out and be like, I think we're in a recession right now. Like Is, is that her talking
2: her book, in your opinion? Well, I, I, I don't like this you know let's all pile on kathy wood thing but point to a thing she last said that was correct right um there isn't a recession you know if you look at again jobs market look at gdp where's the recession um the point you just made about silver and gold earlier you know i'm sort of amused which is well that's because there isn't a recession so i mean obviously tomorrow right gdp will collapse and the jobs market will go to hell and the rest of it but but right now there is no recession so it's just fear frankly and people obviously get scared very easily if you've been investing this year or trading this year it's hard you know to, to contain the worry you've got to work really hard at that um but people let it run too deep and now people will be surprised i think when the upside comes and no one will believe the upside if you remember the rally coming out of the covid lows People shorted that rally all the way from March 2020 up to the end of the year because no one believed it was real. But it was real. And you knew it was real because it was happening. You know, the evidence was it was happening. And so I think when the upside comes now, that's, you know, this week or next year, nobody will believe it. Um, And people won't make the money that's available because they'll be too busy trying to convince themselves that, you know, this is a fake out and it's going to collapse and go to zero and blah. So in the same way that everyone, yeah, just normal psychology, right? Everyone got too carried away on the upside in twenty twenty, in particular twenty one, and now everyone's too carried away on the downside. Just normal.
0: And we know that the correlation between stocks and bonds are is pretty much they're, they're extremely correlated right now more than they have been for over the last decade. Right. And, and Christian here in the chat is also bringing up the points about you know the the um, inversion of the yield curves across the board. So it, it sounds like. We're just flat out saying, you know, the bond market's wrong in this case. And could that be the fuel that we could see into in this valid, the, this next leg that no one actually is expecting?
2: Well, I think there are indicators of what may happen in the future, but it's not a guarantee. So you'll know when we're in a recession because we'll be in one, but we're not in one right now. Um, and so, you know, in, investing being invested, we can all come up with a, a, a range of indicators that tell us exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, except they don't um and so all you ever can ever have is look at the actual data the real-time data in front of you um and then work out whether the the indicators she was using were any good and so right now again could change tomorrow but right now where where's the recession i think one argument says well there's all these layoffs that means less consumer spending that means recession i think that's probably a good argument and if you look at why the layoffs are happening My own view is all companies are perennially overstaffed, always. Um, And you can always take a lot of cost out of any business with no harm to the top line, always. Um, It's just that people don't like to do it for obvious reasons. And right now you have air cover. You know, if you're a CEO or a CFO of a business, you know, you can take 20, 30% of headcount out of your business tomorrow and nothing bad will happen. Normally, you know, you get dragged to the hedge for doing those things. Now, you know, everyone's doing it, so why not? Um, but there is, I think, an argument that says that if there's enough of that, that could, that could cause a serious slowdown in consumer spending, partly if you've actually lost your job and partly if you're worried about losing your job and the effect that might have on psychology. I think that's probably the strongest argument
1: for me. So let's, let's pretend that um, we are going to be in a recession, right? The NBER has said, we're in a recession all, it's happening, like, yeah, that's the reality. What specifically from your perspective, Alex, would like what are what what would those indicators be? What would the data be to say to you that we are in a recession? Right. Because you know, 15, 20 years ago, you'd say two consecutive uh, quarters of GDP contraction was a recession. We saw that sort of to a very small degree recently, but like that's not a recession now. So like to you, like what what would you say is like, okay, these four things are happening. We're in a recession.
2: Um, well, I'm old, so I would still look to GDP. <laughs> I, I, I guess you would look at, you know, overall um, number of, of you know, payroll counts and GDP. So I appreciate they aren't particularly insightful or technical indicators. Yeah, clearly. And they're, they're kind of lagging indicators as well. You only find out, you know, after the fact. But but in the end, those are the, the indicators is, you know, are people employed? Is consumer spending holding up? Are, you know, consumer savings holding up? Um, and is GDP growing? Um, those are things I would look at. Now, I'm not a macro person, no claim to be other people on this, you know, watching the show will be much smarter than me on this front, make no claim to expertise on this. All I would say is right now, I I don't see one happening. I don't see one that's actually happening right now, and I don't see uh, why would there be a recession? Right, just ask yourself that. Why would there be one? Because rates are up. Well, you know, that affects certain things like am I gonna buy a house tomorrow. Okay, if I buy a house tomorrow, I'm probably going to buy some furniture. So you can you can construct an argument like that. To me, the the thing to look at is if the layoff thing really gets hold, that could that could induce a recession. Um but I don't see it yet. Got so it. So okay. I'd like to, I mean,
0: we're we're kind of seeing the conversation shift now into what earnings will be next year. Yeah. And it's going from the layoffs that you're talking about and it's all great points. I mean, I I've thought that as well. I'm like, Oh, is this the moment in time where it's just easy for uh, executives on earnings call to just guide lower and do layoffs and just cut the fat, if you will, that they haven't had that opportunity uh, without having the market react crazy and be like, Oh, you're cutting jobs. Therefore you're not profitable. Right. We always want to see them higher. That's the the positive uh, sentiment. Um, moving on to earnings of the overall market going into next year, I mean, we've seen uh, the big firm, Goldman came out and said they're they're seeing flat growth next year. Uh, we've seen a few people say negative. Of course, there's the ones that say positive. Not much, though. Like, do you have any thoughts of what earnings next year might look at for the overall market?
2: Yeah, overall market, no. But if I if I look at, you know, the stuff that we cover. So if you look at the sectors we cover um, for single name stocks, we cover, you know, tech companies and more the high growth end than your oracles and ibms and so on and we cover uh, space and defense so you know if you look at uh, space and defense defense companies will have higher earnings you know those backlogs are, are rising and they're rising because of the increasing tensions in the world okay so that backlog growth is going to flow into revenue growth is going to flow into earnings so earnings are going to go up over the course of the next two or three years and if you look in tech tech earnings are going up and the reason they're going up is because You know, In times of free money, and again, I'm old and I've done this for three decades, right? So in times of free money, tech companies on purpose go, we're going to lose money. We're going to blow money on product development, marketing, and acquisitions. And we're just going to chase the top line at the expense of everything else. And it's rational to do that when money is free, right? And we're going to run negative cash flows, negative earnings. And then the better ones go, okay, money now costs something. So I'm going to slow down revenue growth and slow down the rate of acquisitions But what I'm going to do is become much more efficient. And for the better tech companies, mainly software businesses, where you have high gross margins, you have tunable uh, levels of OPEX and CAPEX, you can kind of cut your cloth to suit the environment you're in. So if you look at the two big, big earnings reactions just in the last week, we put a note out on this recently, MongoDB, that's MDB, um, and uh, DocuSign, DOCU. Both had huge earnings reactions on pretty awful quarters. You know, if you looked on the top line, right, the revenue growth slowed for both. Um, I don't have the, number, the numbers in front of you, but the revenue growth slowed for both, and um, their their guidance is for growth to slow even further. Now, if you put those quarters out in 2020 or 21, your stock would crater because the market would say, "Well, what's wrong with you? Why can't you grow faster?" Um, both companies upped their guide a little bit um on the earnings front so mongodb for instance said it was going to be eps positive not eps negative i mean so what right eps isn't even the thing and the stock was up 20 30 percent docusign similar sort of story stock up about 20 percent from memory and they put in terrible quarters to be clear um, and both both said that growth would decelerate again next quarter so earnings in tech are going to go up revenue growth will probably be you know, probably down a bit on this year, I would think, because if you look at these um, flywheel type business models, the subscription business models, that flywheel is slowing. And so you can see it in the change in remaining performance obligation. That's the the backlog. You can see it in change in deferred revenue. That's the prepaid, but yet to be recognized uh, revenue. Um, They're all slowing. They're longer term indicators of what the quarterly revenue growth is going to be. So growth will slow, but earnings in the better companies will be up you know, the more mature things, you know, your Oracles, your IBMs, your AT&Ts, you know, who, who knows, but but your, your growth companies earnings will be up for sure.
1: So with those growth companies, like, what specific line items get you excited? Is it free cash flow? Is it their actual earnings? Is it actual earnings per share? Like, what if you could like create a screen of some sort to like screen a bunch of stocks to that are doing very specific things to help you predict what this might look like or help you choose the stocks to even begin doing more research into, is there maybe like a line item or two and like what those yeah. line items might be moving toward?
2: Yeah, I mean, bear in mind, this is my whole career so I can bore you for literally days on this, right? But, but just, to, just to cut to the chase. So if you look at the, the way we do it is we, you know we cover a lot of stocks and so we try and get a single um lens through which to look at you know all the tech stocks through one lens all the defense stocks through another and in tech really simple um revenue growth for the quarter versus the same quarter last year right gives you a snapshot of growth trailing 12 month revenue growth versus the same period last year so that's a slower burn measure right it goes up slower down slower um take no notice whatsoever of earnings per share who cares not even a thing right it's just an accounting thing um you can manipulate it left right and center um, we don 't even measure it we don 't report on it. What we look at is um, in tech companies we look at unlevered pretax free cash flow, which is basically um, EBITDA minus capex minus changing working capital, which is you know if you get paid by your customers faster than you pay your suppliers, you have a positive changing working capital. If you get paid slower than you pay out negative. so get paid fast, cash goes up relative to earnings, get paid slow, cash goes down relative to earnings simple. And then we look at the, the net cash or net debt on the balance sheet. Those are the, the headline things. The, the couple of things that we look at that are really informative of the future are what in defence you'd call backlog. Uh, in tech, people call it remaining performance obligation. And it's a mouthful, but it's starting to appear now in most companies, 10Qs and 10Ks. You have to, you know, Apple F, Control F for it. Um, it's on page, you know, 732, but, but it's really interesting. So for any company that has revenue visibility as a subscription model, something like that, or in defense where you have, you know, multi-year uh, order book, look for remaining performance obligation or backlog. RPO measures the total contracts that the company assign with its customers, total value of those contracts, that's yet to be invoiced or paid, right? And then, oh, I'm sorry, the total value of the forward contract book. And then a subset of that, deferred revenue, is the subset that they have invoiced. Now, they may have been paid for it. In which case it will appear in cash or there may have yet to be paid for it in which case it'll be an account receivable but look at rpo or deferred revenue and that's a little window into the future very simple if rpo is growing if it's a big number relative to last 12 months revenue and it's growing faster than ttm revenue probably growth is going to accelerate and if it's growing slower than ttm revenue probably growth is going to decelerate now these aren't linear relationships they're only directional it's pretty useful um, and so we've used it a number of times in the growth investor pro service uh, both on the way up. So in 2020, we used it with Cloudflare, that's net NET, to say this thing's going to accelerate, look, you can see it in the order book, and it did, bigly. Um, and we've seen it in uh, things like um, Datadog, that's DDOG, and Zscaler, uh, ZS, this year, and we've said these things are going to slow, and they did. So nothing's perfect, but it's a pretty good thing to look at. So those are the things. Revenue growth, uh, cash margins, balance sheet, RPO, those are the things.
1: Got it. And quickly before Daniel, I'm sure I asked a question. The thing you mentioned, uh, too, is the net debt. Uh, are you at all like when you're thinking about investing into or, or just analyzing, right, um, you know, a tech company, like are there specific net debt multiples you try and keep in mind that are like the safe zone or are you really looking for no debt? I mean, what's that kind of like yeah. you know, Goldilocks spot? Yeah, thing?
2: it depends on depends on the company. So if you look at, you know, a, a mature business like, a, you know, an Oracle, let's take as an example. Um, you know you if Oracle's running at you know two, three, even four times uh, debt to EBITDA, that's fine, right? Uh, most of these interest costs are hedged out and fixed. You know the cash flow in a business like that's not going to change anytime soon. It's not going to stress anybody out. Um with the growthier companies that either don't generate much cash or they've just started to them, you have to look a bit differently and say, well, how much net how much liquid cash is on the balance sheet not you know marketable securities because you don't know what they are there might be t-bills or there might be you know shares in a private crypto firm you don't know what they are so how much actual cash money is on the balance sheet how much do they burn on average each quarter after tax and so how many quarters runway do i have that's a venture capital toolkit right Um, but it's relevant because so many companies went public at such a young age if you like in the last five years that with a lot of them, you have to look at them as venture capital investments. So is this thing going to need to raise money anytime soon? And if you have to raise money in this environment right now, that's going to hurt the stock because either you have to raise debt, which will um, you know spook uh, shareholders or you have to raise equity at some even further depressed price. So I think it depends on the company, um, mature, low growth, you know 40 percent cash flow margin, uh, software business, big leverage that's just fine i mean don't forget there's a whole lbo industry that makes a living out of seven eight times leverage so it's fine um high growth business that doesn't generate much cash look at how much liquid cash you got versus the the quarterly burn i love this guy
1: you want to come back like every episode this is so interesting to me Sure, right? yeah why not
0: Can you I told you he's a legend, Alex, or maybe Austin, maybe we should, we should, uh, kind of pivot back to Salesforce. Alex, I know you, you recently wrote an article about Salesforce here. I think it was the end of last month. I was looking through, um, Austin, you had the question about management. Maybe you want to ask it to Alex and get his thoughts.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I, I had written down. Uh, we've seen a laundry list of executives at Slack step down. Right, Brett Taylor, the co-CEO, Stuart Butterfield, the CEO, uh, Tamar Yisha the chief product officer, Jonathan Prince, SVP of marketing, um, and not to mention, you know, that was Slack. And at Salesforce, they lost their chief strategy officer and the CEO of Tableau. What might be going on behind the scenes here? Why is this happening? And, yeah. and what maybe a person that has no idea uh like myself i don't own salesforce uh i'm not very keen in the business but i'm seeing these things and i've seen the headlines how would you kind of break it down for someone like me
2: so i think you have to so first of all um again i'm old right now i remember salesforce's ipo uh back in 2002 or three i forget which um i think you have to separate it into two things The, the departure of execs whose companies have been acquired that's normal you should expect that you know, if you're a guy, uh, Stuart Butterfield, I mean, if you remember, if you look at Butterfield's background, really interesting guy. So he set up two gaming businesses. You know, Slack was supposed to be a, 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 a multi-user dungeon for want of a better term, right? A guy like that is never going to live very long in a corporate structure because he's going to go insane, right? If you say you have to arrive at X time in the morning and leave at Y time at night and use, you know, this business card and wear that and, and all that, you know, these guys last months. Even if they have to surrender their own ass, they just can't bear it. So for, you know, uh, Butterfield from Slack, Tableau guys, that I don't think should spook anybody. That's just normal, right? Um, and they're both, they're both those companies have been owned for long enough now that a, a serial acquirer like Salesforce and they're very good acquisitions. People don't think they are, but they're very, very good acquisitions. People have even squeal they've overpaid and blah, but they always work out really well. They'll have sucked out the DNA out of those businesses by now. And so that the founders leave, well, I wouldn't stress me at all. And I'm Salesforce Sharp um brett taylor leaving this is a sort of periodic spasm that salesforce goes through and it's all to do with the founder you know founder ceo benioff's desire for control so you know in 2015 uh the company came very close to being sold to microsoft very close indeed um didn't go through on on price ultimately um and so since then Benioff has sort of flirted with, could he possibly bear to hang, uh, hand over any kind of control whatsoever to another um, CEO? And the answer so far has been no. So they've hired at least two co-CEOs, to my memory, um, and then torched them right? <laughs> within the space of 12, 18 months, which just kind of makes me laugh, which is, um, who would take the job to be co-CEO with a founder that's been there? You know, what, 21 20 years as a public company and 25 years if you include his private history. It's just nuts. You're, you're always going to be roadkill. And so I, I think the, again, just step back, acquired execs leaving, non issue, normal. Um, Benioff grasping back control. So far, when he's done that, it's worked out well. Right now, everyone has, um, you know, every everybody has their sort of best window of their career. And all of us get old and all of us go off the boil as we get older. So the question is, is Benioff there now, right? Is he prepared to work hard enough? You know, or does he want to spend more time on Hawaii? Who knows? But that these guys are leaving in and of itself doesn't stress me out. It comes down to, is Benioff basically going, the stock price is on the floor. I'm going to award myself a bunch more stock at, you know, what is it? 135 bucks or something, 136 bucks. And then I'm going to ramp this thing which he's more than capable of doing, to have one final hurrah and you know, a big shower of money and go and buy myself another Hawaiian island um, and then quit, right? But, uh, but he won't quit by handing over to a CEO. He'll sell it to someone, right? So that's the question. My, my own personal view is I've seen a lot of founders over the years and I've seen a lot of founders uh, run public companies like this and they're usually the ones to back. And Off so far, every time he's thrown a co-CEO or a senior manager under the bus, it's worked out well. So for us as a, you know, me as an individual and us as a firm, I'd say benefit of the doubt there, but he is getting on a bit. So at some point that trick's going to not work. For now, you know, we rate the thing up, accumulate, right? I own it. I'm happy to own it. It's on the floor right now. It should go up over time. It's the next Oracle. You know, it'll mature. It's it's just going to be part of the plumbing for the next 20, 30 years. So it'll probably be fine. But, he can only do this so many more times. I go love ahead. all the
0: thoughts because that's, that's kind of where my head went. I mean, you made up the good, you, you brought the good point about, you know, CEOs that are, are a part of an acquisition. Usually they have their what two, three year contract where they stay on board and then they're usually pushed out the door, but you're talking about, um, the CEO of Salesforce. And it's like the guys, like, I, I can imagine it's almost like working with like a Carl icon where the guy's just like, I don't want to go. Like, I'm not going to let go. This is my baby. I've built it. At XYZ. Um, but uh, so I was looking at the uh, the Seeking Alpha assemble page. I'll just pull it up for everybody real quick. On Salesforce, uh, our quant system does have a strong buy. I know you mentioned you have an accumulate as well. Trying to get your thoughts on it. Though I mean, the the valuation is a little high, but of course it, it's tech. And if you, as you were talking about, you know, PE and and earnings per share and how they can be manipulated and stuff. But we were also talking about. I mean, this company has already experienced massive growth throughout the years that it's been on the market and and all the acquisitions and. I was scrolling down here at the bottom earlier, and I was looking at you know cash and debt balances and everything else. And obviously, they have fourteen billion dollars in debt. Um, most of that's probably from the Slack acquisition, I would guess. I and mean, do you have any thoughts on on how they're they're you know financially running the company right now?
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a cash machine. This thing, you know, and don't forget most of their cash is paid um, up front uh, on a subscription basis, and so um, the. Cash flow does not stress me out on this thing. I don't have numbers in front of me. If you look at the valuations, a multiple of trading 12 month unlevered free cash flow, it's not a scary multiple. Um, if you look at, you look at any conventional debt metrics on that thing, uh, you know, uh, interest cover ratios, anything you care to look at, there's no, I don't see any credit risk with that whatsoever. Really not. Um, the, the, the company again is, is, has been a really excellent acquirer. So, if you look over the last let me see 10 13 years of uh, salesforce's stock history it takes a big dive any time they do a big acquisition it it, it you know fell off the cliff with tableau uh, mulesoft slack obviously um, and in each time they've paid big for relatively small companies and they, what they've done is they bought product innovation so mulesoft gave them um, uh, in you know an integration bus as it used to be called um slack gave them obviously collaboration tools uh tableau analytics and so rather than uh develop their own they've ac- acquired it and they've paid with you know partly stock partly debt and every single time that's worked out really well but no one expects it and there's this sort of general mantra that says m&a is bad well yeah it's bad if you're not very good at it um but it's not bad if you are good at it if you have a serial process you can get the the integration costs uh done and you can afford these things and so you know and there's anything stressful personally about sales right now the the, the 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 big question i would say is a legitimate question is you know it can benioff deliver you know another episode of growth himself you know or is this overconfidence in his own judgment and so based on history my view is yeah he'll do it but i have to say last time he did it my view is yeah i'm not stressed at all now with two three years on i forget how old he is but he's not young um you know he he doesn't dislike the finer things in life and he doesn't dislike being on vacation right and so for all that we've said about recession it doesn't mean it's easy and you do have to get up for work early in the morning right now if you want to do well so that that's the risk i would say not not the balance sheet i love that you laid
0: that out uh, one more one more thing before we let you go you've been so generous with your time um and actually greg who does alice King work for you works for himself Session Capital. Uh, go check out his service on Seeking Alpha Marketplace. It's called Growth Investor Pro. Uh, Alexis says, Alex, you should work for the Fed. <laughs> and that's a great comment. <laughs> Why would I want to do that? <laughs> no one wants to do that, but just throwing that out there. Uh, so Denise had a question here uh, asking you any thoughts on NVIDIA and, and maybe, I mean, you're talking about how you love tech. You've always been in growth investing and, and the tech sector specifically. And, and I think we know, of course, NVIDIA is the semiconductor industry, but they have the yeah. CUDA cores of their chips and the GPU, which is going to be running AI and all the data centers and everything else. So, just kind of wondering, do you have any thoughts that you might want to share with people about Nvidia or AI or tech? And- yeah,
2: I mean, yeah, I mean it, that thing's a machine, right? No pun intended, and it's gonna, it's just gonna keep going. I mean, what's the competition? So, first of all, if, if you sort of step back, and um, it, it's worth saying, by the way, that you know when you when you do tech for a career, and I've been in tech, let's say, three decades now. It, it it always does this it always you know gets destroyed every few years and everyone declares it to be over and you know, all the you know going to zero and you know blah 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 this happens all the time and so you know that that isn't true right it's just very 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 cyclical and the up cycles are insane and the down cycles are insane right it just is this volatile but technology as a whole is an incredibly young industry if you compare it to you know railroad or um you know uh, consumer packaged goods or you know any industry you can think of it's still an incredible young industry you know the first independently sold software as opposed to bundled with you know a piece of ibm kit probably isn't older than you know what 40 ish years ago so so the software industry as, as a as an industry is maybe in its fourth or fifth decade that's an incredibly young industry and that means that it's just going to keep growing as an industry And that it's volatile and scary is because of the youth of the industry. So if you look at semiconductors, you know, semiconductors and software for that matter remain rubbish, right? You know, most people's computer remains rubbish. It can't do things that you want it to do very easily unless you think like it. And, you know, that is pretty limiting. Um, We're all amazed about, you know, ChatGPT. But if you ask ChatGPT an actual question, ask it, what's the best stock to buy? I tried that. It can't tell you. Right. What it can do is pass together bits of language to make it sound like a person um, when it's just reassembling words from somebody else's website. It's quite good at that. Right. Ask it. um, I asked it this three days ago, whether, you know, the FTX thing was was really a fraud or not. And it can't tell the answer. Right. Technology is really basic and dreadful still. Um, AI is really basic and dreadful still. Computing is really basic and dreadful still. So NVIDIA you know, is on the cutting edge of what good looks like in in compute, but still really basic. Now, they have hardly any competition, and that's because Intel, you know, were too arrogant to spot the opportunity, just as they were with mobile originally. Um, AMD sort of caught up a bit by an acquisition, but NVIDIA is way out there in front. AI, you know, everybody thinks that AI has got a long way to run, and it could be the next um, substantial compute model, and NVIDIA is just going to run with that. Um the stock's you know been beaten up it's bound, it's rebounded really fast and um yeah you know, I own the stock we're we're ready to accumulate um, we think it's got a fantastic future uh, a fantastic future so yeah very very bullish on that.
0: Awesome Alex, thank you so much for your time awesome no For the record, I asked uh, ChatGPT, what's the best Seeking Alpha Marketplace service? And I'm sorry, Austin, but uh, it says Session Capitals. (laughs) That's a big lie. Anyway, that's Uh nice to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Just letting you know, Alex, you are a legend. Thank you so much for all the time. Thanks for having me on. Great show. Thanks a lot, guys. We really appreciate it. You take care, all right? Yeah, bye. All right, talk to you soon. Oh, man, Austin. I mean, come on. Talk about it. Now. We got to get him Let's on drop. some
1: like monthly cadence if he's open to it, man. This guy is an absolute rock star. I, I feel like I just learned more from him than I did
0: the four years I spent studying finance in college. Are you kidding me? Jeez. Absolutely incredible. I mean, Denise over here, fabulous. Vita says thanks, Alex. Christian says excellent sec- session. Alex was great. I mean, this is this is invest investing experts podcast. I mean, that right there, I think is like, I could have not asked for a better episode to just break down. Let's talk about growth and let's talk about tech and let's talk about, I mean, he said no recession, right? Very firm, very confident, very like just laid it out. Employment strong. Obviously we've got uh, about 58 minutes here until the FOMC decision is released. And uh, I think everybody's going to be watching the future markets after what happened with CPI and that early move yesterday. I don't know if you saw that. That was wild. But um, was very wild. Thanks for joining us today, everyone. If you have any questions, thoughts, stock ideas, people you want to see maybe on the podcast, shoot us over an email at InvestingExperts at SeekingAlpha.com. If you have questions, concerns, if you want to know where the video replays are, those are on Seeking Alpha under the investment. Invest- Why do I keep saying investment? investing experts podcast it's gonna take me a second but we're gonna get into it uh of course austin hankwitz as always joining us for the hour he is over on seeking alpha marketplace at cashflow freaks how's that going by the way i keep seeing all your your articles it's fun
1: man we're having a blast we're hosting live streams on mondays We're, we're posting a little bit here and there i think i just posted a little something about uh academy sports and hims and hers health uh the other day and uh it's it was really cool we uh we're just we're keeping a a close eye on a couple ideas and uh yeah just really fortunate to have so many people rocking with us over there and uh if you have any questions about that shoot me an email uh ask me something on twitter i mean i am on every social media platform especially tiktok so uh here to serve you guys again thank you all so much for hanging out yes go check out the chat alex just dropped his seeking alpha marketplace in there personally i'm gonna go browse it a little bit i'm now a major alex king fan And, uh, thanks everyone. This was a lot of fun and we will see you guys are listening
0: to the podcast. You're watching the video replay. We're going to drop a link down in the description as well, or beneath the video so that you guys can find his service as well. I mean, or even if you have seeking off a premium, just go read the articles under his author page. I mean, very enlightening. He's very on top of it and he publishes very, very frequently. So guys go check it out. Thanks for hanging out with us today. You guys enjoy the rest of the day. Alex, if you're listening, still we owe you some pints. Next time we see each other in the future, drinks are on us. Thank you so much. Everyone take care. Have a great rest of the day. Disclaimer, of course, all opinions on this episode are our own. Do not take them as financial advice. Do your own research. Talk to a financial advisor. And we'll see you guys next week, Wednesday, 12 p.m. Eastern. Myself, Austin Hankwitz. We'll see you then. Take care, everyone. Have a great rest of the week.